103 is brought to you by Callaway. Callaway's new Apex irons are the ultimate forged player's distance iron. Unmatched field distance and control have been forged to perfection to deliver category-defining performance. Callaway's 360 face cups generate industry-leading distance and unmatched feel and will get every golfer's attention. Tungsten weighting in each iron fine-tunes launch, trajectory, and delivers tremendous control. See perfection in every shot with the new Apex at your local golf retailer or visit callawaygolf.ca and see what makes Callaway the number one irons in golf. If you listen to the polling as of right now, Conservative leader Andrew Scheer stands a good chance of ousting Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's Liberal government this fall. But it's not a clear path to victory. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. We look at some of the issues that Scheer could face as we head toward an election and how he could be campaigning this summer to counter them. Don't forget, if you haven't already subscribed to the show, please do so. We're on Apple Podcasts or any other major listening platform. We'd love it if you'd leave us a review and definitely tell your friends about us. John Iveson is the Ottawa Bureau Chief for Post Media, as well as a columnist for the National Post. So, John, once we pass the Canada Day long weekend, we're pretty much in campaign mode for the course of the summer. And Prime Minister Justin Trudeau seems to have righted his ship a little, at least for now, after a spring of controversies. Where does that leave Andrew Scheer heading into the summer? I think it leaves him without momentum. And I think it should be a a concern to him if it's not already. You know, they were essentially ahead in the polls since mid-February. There are still projections that give them a 64% probability of winning the most seats in October. But I think that the... The bloom has come off the road a little bit. The situation in Ontario where I think the election is going to be won or lost is slightly concerning. And I was writing recently about the prospect of a potential teacher strike in Ontario, which would not be good news for Andrew Scheer, because I think already we're seeing that Ontario Premier Doug Ford is a bit of an albatross around his neck. It's, It's coming up at the doorstep. Liberals are hearing it and are cheered by it, and Conservatives are hearing it and are dismayed by it. Yeah, like part of the strategy, at least, it seemed that for Sheer to kind of gain support and momentum in uh, some provinces was to hitch his wagon to other Conservative politicians. And in Alberta, it's been Jason Kenney, who's been very vocal uh, in his dislike of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, and in Ontario was Doug Ford, who I think that uh, Scheer and, and Ford were very much aligned on campaigning against Justin Trudeau's carbon tax. In Alberta, there's been kind of slight ripples of controversy since the government has come in, but nothing really huge. But at, in Ontario, there's been kind of controversy after controversy after controversy that's dogged the Ford government. How much does that potentially hurt Scheer with voters? Well, I think it is a real problem for him. I mean, the, the, the Ford government has made a number of missteps, you know, l- lots of rather silly little budget cuts. They didn't save them a lot of money, but were very controversial. For example, interlibrary loans, uh, which were cancelled and obviously upset a lot of people. The, mm-hmm. the, the Ford budget came out and uh, the, there, it looks like there are either going to be service cuts or tax hikes in areas like Peel region, which is which is... Mississauga and Brampton. That's a lot of seats. And so the the Liberals have have leapt upon this and are now pointing out in in campaign literature and 
candidates at the door saying, this is what you get when governments advocate austerity. Now, the, the Conservatives are pushing back somewhat. I mean, Erin O'Toole, the MP, was saying to me, well, when that is raised at the doorstep, I point out that's what happens when you elect Liberal government after Liberal government. The government gets into such a fiscal mess that it takes cuts to get out of it. And his pitch is, don't re-elect Trudeau for a second term and we'll be able to sort this out without big, uh, tac- uh, without big service cuts. So... It remains to be seen whether this is going to sell on the doorsteps, the Conservative message, but it does seem for now that people are taking heed of the Liberal message. Now, we're not talking like core Toronto votes here. who They don't typically vote Conservative kind of in, in really metropolitan Toronto. We're talking about like the 905 ring and the suburbs of Toronto. Is that who this kind of battleground in Ontario is going to be yeah, for that's, in October? that's kind of what we're talking about. I mean... If you look at the electoral map across the country, you're going to see the Conservatives make some gains in Atlantic Canada. You're probably going to see them pick up a couple of seats in in Winnipeg. You're going to see them pick up seats in Alberta and maybe even in British Columbia. But the Liberals are likely to to win double figures increases in, in Quebec, which will more than compensate for the losses elsewhere. Some Liberals are talking about maybe 20 seats being gained at the expense of the NDP, perhaps even the bloc. So really it comes down to Ontario and can Shear make a breakthrough in Ontario? I think he's going to win seats in areas where the Liberals won last time and really had no right to win. And that's in central Ontario, seats north of Toronto, but uh, not moving as far east as Ottawa. Uh, More rural seats that the the Liberals won last time with less than 5% uh, electoral margins. There are not enough of those seats to make a breakthrough, to, to take Shear from where he is now, around about 100 seats, less than 100, up to uh, to even minority government. He really needs to start making inroads in those areas where there are 30, 40, 50 seats around Toronto. And there are no signs of that yet. If you look at the what the Conservatives won in the last election and where they are at mo- in most of the polls, the Liberal vote has gone down for sure, but so has the Conservative vote. And, you know, we've seen the People's Party come along, the 3 to 5%, depending on which poll you look at. That takes away pretty much all from the Conservatives. We've seen the Greens rise, which has is, is certainly taken uh, votes from, from the Liberals, but probably also from the Conservatives. So for the Conservatives to really make inroads, they do need to start seeing seats in Brampton and Mississauga, all around the Peel region, in, in Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge, areas like that uh, turning blue. And at the moment, there just doesn't seem to be the evidence that that is happening. It's interesting that the Liberals are trying to use austerity measures taken by a Conservative government at provincially as a federal campaign talking point, especially when you consider that a lot of the financial trouble Ontario is in is because of essentially the the win and McGuinty governments. Why? Right. No, nobody said this was logical. <laughs> so why would a teacher strike be so problematic? I mean, we're talking about two orders of government. We're talking about the, the specific case of Ontario where uh, a year ago, the liberal brand in Ontario was pretty badly damaged. And, and it seemed that Doug Ford and the, and the Tories won in, in spite of themselves. Right. I mean, I think that... Uh you know, it is two different levels of government. I think people are generally aware that it is two levels of government. But as one Conservative MP told me, they vote to send a message. 
And if post Labor Day, people are still trying to find care for their children uh, while they've gone back to work, I suspect they're not going to be happy. And when when people are angry, they tend to lash out. And you know, the, the federal liberals will be doing their utmost to, to point out, well, if you vote for a sheer government, you're going to get more of the same. Um, it may not pan out like that. It may be that there is no strike. It may be that Ford's decision to shuffle his cabinet and stay out of the limelight means that he's less of a factor. It may be that the enthusiasm gap for the Liberals that may depress the turnout and therefore Sheer is the beneficiary. And I do think campaigns matter. I mean, it's very problematic to make any particular projections before the campaign has started. But where we're sitting right now, uh, and you look at the, the trend lines on public support, the Conservative support has dipped in Ontario at a time they could ill, Ill afford to lose that kind of support. I think at the moment, or in the next little while, Shear is going to want to see that graph heading upwards instead of downwards. Now, when you talk about Shear and the Conservatives and concerns over austerity, has he articulated what his party's policy is? I, I know that they've talked about the fact that uh, the Liberals have you know, the deficit budgets, consecutive deficit budgets, breaking promises to balance the budget. But where are the, the Conservatives at when it comes to their fiscal policy going into the election? We heard Scheer say in the last month that his government would not balance the books in the first year of a, of a Scheer government. It would take the, the four years of a, of a mandate to do that. And I think this is exactly why. Mm. They didn't want to be seen as coming in and making a lot of cuts I mean, they've got some promises that they want to make. They've already revealed a couple of them, um, cutting GST on, on home, home fuel bills, for example. You know, whatever they do is going to cost money, but at the same time, the government's already in a pretty big fiscal hole. So there isn't a lot of uh, leeway to do stuff and to balance the books, which hence, unless you're going to come in promising lots of service cuts uh, or increasing taxes, then it's going to be a, a more progressive return to uh, to balance. That, I think, was des- primarily designed to reassure voters, primarily in Ontario, that they're not going to see the same kind of cuts that Ford is making. So I think Shear's been trying to send out a message that this is going to be a relatively moderate mainstream government, as perhaps they were used to with Harper. I mean, there aren't that many policy differences with what uh, Stephen Harper was doing. And in many ways... That's a sensible move because people were, I don't think they were so upset with what the Harper government was doing, or many people weren't. It was the tone of the government. There was a sense of meanness. And, you know, that's also the, the, the feeling that I, get, I, I sense with uh, people in Ontario. They feel that there's a meanness about this Doug Ford government that they don't like. People who, uh, MPs in the, in the 905 area say that when we stick to, when the Conservatives stick to talking about uh, safe communities and lower taxes, and balanced budgets, that voters respond to that. It's just when they start cutting library services, for example, that that those voters start turning around going, well, maybe not. If you'd like access to more of the National Post's award-winning journalism, sign up for a free 30-day subscription at nationalpost.com slash podcast. 
Uh, one of the things that you mentioned earlier was that in the polls right now, you're seeing the Green Party of Canada kind of rise in the polls, not to the point where they're going to form government, but where they could be problematic to the the major parties. And it shows that the, the notion of climate change uh, and environmental policy is going to factor into this campaign, which has been a major stumbling block for the Conservatives. Now, they finally released their... Uh, policy uh, earlier this month. Is that policy enough to pull over soft conservative voters who may have been looking at other parties because they see climate change as an issue? I don't think it is, to be honest. Uh, I mean, I think if climate change is your concern, I mean, I called the Conservative Climate Plan a a Potemkin village, which uh, for people who know their history, uh, this was a, a, a fake village uh, designed to give the impression of solidity, but it really a, a sort of fake construction, which uh, in Russia they moved, they moved along the, the route of the Empress as she was moving along to make suggest that that there was lots of new build. I think this is a bit of a, a an artificial construct that gives voters, many of them, gives many of them what they want effectively, the, an expression of concern about climate change, without imposition of any financial pain. The plan does not particularly give any targets. It doesn't really express how a conservative government would get to the Paris targets, which it says it still uh, it still wants to hit. To Shear's credit, he does say think that uh, climate change is real, but uh, it's not particularly taken seriously in the plan. That not as far as I'm concerned. I think what the the suggestion is that they're going to increase financial penalties on companies that. The, the large emitters that go above a certain uh, amount of emissions, I can't see them doing that. If you start doing that, a lot of those big emitters go go and pollute somewhere else and you mm-hmm. lose the jobs, but you don't lose the pollution. Uh, he said he's aware of that problem. They call it leakage, but it's not clear how he would hit still reduce the amount of emissions without losing the emitters. So it's, uh, it is a bit of a tightrope they're walking. I mean, I think... And what about the carbon tax? He has come out heavily against the carbon tax, which which really tied his hands as far as what a conservative policy could be. If you're not going to price carbon explicitly in the form of a tax or through a cap and trade system, then there's only a certain number of options. It's a big deal for his for his campaign to campaign on affordability, and I think he is onto something with that. I mean, there was a, there was a uh, some research came out last week which suggested. The loss of purchasing power over the last 10 years for for many people, for, for, for many poorer families, for, for rural households, for uh, single parents, that that loss of purchasing power has gone far beyond what the official price index suggests. I mean, inflation is at 2%. This is suggesting 10% a year, as hmm. uh, mainly as energy spending has, has increased and fluctuated. So these concerns that... that Shear is hearing and responding to over increased fuel costs, even if some of that money is rebated in the form of a carbon tax rebate. I think that's a real concern for people and will play well for him. But I don't think it helps his carbon his, uh, climate change policy. Do you think that his policy potentially hurts him in polls that previously showed that he was more trusted on the climate change file than even the prime minister? Well, I was very surprised by that finding in the first place. I don't know how many polls found that. That might have been an outlier poll, which which is is quite widely quoted. But I don't particularly think that if 
climate change is something you're concerned about, that the, your, that Sheer would rank ahead of uh, Justin Trudeau, who has quite clearly staked part of his reputation on on uh, fighting climate change. So I, I think we're only going to see Sheer's reputation on the climate front uh, diminish as a result of this. It was pretty broadly panned across the uh, across the spectrum of of commentators. I mean, you know, the National Post, which is generally pro small C conservative, it was not well received in our paper. Never mind in in papers for which this is a much bigger issue. Now, looking into the the summer and and potentially even farther into the campaign, where do you think that the Sheer and the Conservatives will focus most of their energy, either policy-wise or, or geographically speaking? Well, geographically, I think we were talking about Ontario. I think it has to be Ontario. Uh, they're going to be looking at Quebec, around the area around Quebec City, where um, Maxime Bernier's People's Party is relatively strong. They're going to be in a fight there. They think they can do okay in Quebec, but but okay for the Conservatives is you know, adding five, maybe 10 seats, which is all very welcome. But if you're at just under 100 seats and you need to get to, you know, 150, 160 to even have a chance at minority, you need to be picking up a lot more seats than that. You know, clearly Atlantic Canada provides them a handful of seats, probably in uh, New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. I'm not sure that he's going to be spending a lot of time in in Alberta. Those those seats seem pretty secure and and uh, th- they will pick up two or three there. British Columbia is obviously up, up for grabs a little bit because of the pipeline, because of other other issues where Trudeau has, has not gone down particularly well, a lot of electoral reform. It's interesting that uh, Jason Kenney maybe has volunteered to campaign for the Conservatives, I gather, and may well be deployed in that 905 belt we're talking about because he was the architect of the policy where many of those seats turned blue in 2008, 2011. Mm-hmm. That was his. Uh, he was multicultural multiculturalism minister at the time, and spent a lot of time cultivating some ethnic communities that ended up voting conservative. So uh, that might be a, a, a an advantage for Sheer. It might also be a disadvantage because, as we mentioned, for Justin Trudeau, it's almost easier to campaign against Kenny and Doug Ford, who are who are seen as the barbarians at the gate by many people. Conservative premiers who are who are enacting what might be seen as extreme conservative policies, whereas Sheer remains still a bit of an unknown and kind of hard to pin down for the Liberals. I mean, one Liberal that was rather unfairly commented that he's a bit like tofu, um, <laughs> and that he's inoffensive but flavorless. Yeah, well, I mean, it'll it'll be interesting to see how those provincial pieces get used by both sides in in the campaign is uh, over the next few months. John, thanks for your time. Okay, all the best. Ten Three is produced by Carson Jarama. Special thanks to my guest John Iveson. More from him at NationalPost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.